Hey, Tom. Hi, Michael. So what I'm going to do now is um, it's, it's linked to TCO4, right? Okay. So with TCO4, I'm making quite a lot of changes to the way I guide them on networking and office choices uh, and, and where they pick sectors to join if they're eligible, right? Hmm. So now what I want to do is in the next four podcasts, I want to talk about the four big changes at McKinsey, very big changes, okay. that are driving the advice I'm giving the TCO4 uh, uh, participants, uh, Dylan, uh, Harris, Cisco, and Cezanne, right? Okay. Let's start with the first one, right? Now, the first one is, um, so McKinsey focused on three things. They don't want to be a strategy firm. They want to be a leadership firm. Yes. They came up with that in the 80s, and people still call them a strategy firm, mm-hmm. which means that their marketing wasn't so good. <laughs> well, no, not true. For the market that actually matters, they know the difference. Yes, Remember yes. Uh, the market, the, the kind of people call McKinsey a strategy firm is not McKinsey's market. Mm-hmm. And if you look at McKinsey's website, they call themselves a leadership firm. BCG and Bain call themselves strategy firms, right? Yes. And the 1980s called and they want their marketing text back. <sighs> You know, something like, can you imagine Barack Obama <laughs> making a joke like that? <laughs> but anyway, so, so that's one thing. The second one is that um, they, so the first one was this marketing one, uh, was around being a leadership firm. The second one was that um, they would, when people left the firm, they would place them. Mm-hmm. They would work actively to place them in industry, so they created this army of evangelists, right? Yes. And the third one is that when people left McKinsey, they left in high standing. Mm-hmm. Because when... When you left McKinsey in high standing, it's like when you graduate from the Harvard Business School, they don't disclose grades. Yes. You could have hired the dumbest HBS graduate. They're really the dumbest one, the one who fell asleep in class. But you don't know, right? Yes, you have no idea of knowing. It's a clever strategy, right? Mm-hmm. You know, education is a level playing field, especially at HBS when they don't disclose grades. Mm-hmm. Now, think about that. That means that when people recruit HBS graduates they are forced to recruit the dumbest person because they don't know who's the smartest person. Mm-hmm. It's a brilliant strategy, don't you think, sir? It, it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. Second, because, because your profile has now improved, you want to be associated with HBS, right? Because mm-hmm. they, they're not saying anything bad about you. McKinsey's basically adopted the strategy, which makes perfect sense if you think about it, right? When you leave McKinsey... They don't say how you left McKinsey. You left in higher standing. Right, right. You leave as, and, and, and like, imagine riding shirtless on a white steed. <laughs> imagine you actually airbrushed your abs and you got a six-pack or an eight-pack going there, right? <laughs> now, I mean, I'm not being sexist, ladies. You can also have a six-pack if you want to, right? Mm-hmm. But that's how you leave McKinsey, right? Yeah. I yeah. always tell people, how do you know you're not talking to the most ridiculous McKinsey consultant in the world? You don't know that, Right. Mm-hmm. How do you know you haven't hired the most ridiculous McKinsey consultants? You don't know that. Mm-hmm. And now think of the enormous value to McKinsey. Firstly, when you leave McKinsey, they make it sound like, you know what? Just being here was an achievement. Yes. Right? It's like, you know, single people can use this as an example when they date. You date the person for one night and you say, look, just being with me one night is a magnanimous achievement. <laughs> it is something that most people aspire to. And I think that you should feel very proud that we managed to spend those eight wonderful hours together. And now I'm going to release you into the world well-trained to live your life. <laughs> but basically, that's what they're saying, right? Yeah, yeah. Then they have this entire army of people who will help you with your resume and will, you know, 
guide you and connect you with people. And you also have a network of McKinsey people who realize that if you land well, they look well because a McKinsey person must never look to be weak, right? Yes, yes. So they've built this mechanism where you feel good when you're managed out. Mm -hmm. You feel good when you land because Mm -hmm. the firm makes you look like a winner. Yeah. You feel good when you go into industry because the firm says, look, he was a McKinsey consultant. He was one of our, you know, he was a great guy. You should hire him. Mm -hmm. And they don't have to say that explicitly because the mere fact that they connect you with people is an implicit endorsement. Yes, yes. And that's a brilliant model. It's a brilliant strategy because then you Mm -hmm. create a very loyal cadre of people who want to be attached to the McKinsey name. When they go into industry, they want to support McKinsey because the more, because, you know, let's assume you work at a bank and there's McKinsey, BCG and bank consultants. You want McKinsey to do the work because then it helps your status because your firm is doing Mm -hmm. the work, right? Mm -hmm. So in my opinion, that's probably one of the most brilliant things McKinsey did. Mm -hmm. So anyway, McKinsey has now changed that strategy. Huh. Now, I'm just going to point out a few things here, right? Dominic Barton is Canadian, right? Mm-hmm. So I like him, right? I mean, I like him, I like bacon, and I like maple syrup, right? They're, they're probably in that order, right? And maybe right. high sake is fucked there, right? Now, I'm pretty sure that one day, when you go for the Canadian citizenship exam, one of the 24 questions is going to be, <laughs> who was the Canadian business professional who ran McKinsey & Company worldwide? He's that revered, right? Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, he grew up in some, you know, little town in British Columbia, went to the University of British Columbia, went on to Oxford. He's a, he's a very nice guy, right? You want to yeah. like him. Yeah. So I'm not saying anything negative about him. It's not about him. I don't know if this is an official policy at McKinsey. If it's an official policy, then even though he's a great guy, he's mismanaging the firm, right, to some degree. If it's not an official policy and he doesn't know about it, then he's also mismanaging the firm because something like this is happening under his watch, right? Right. right. So either way, when you are the leader, the buck stops with you, right? Yes, it doesn't matter whether it's on purpose or not. Exactly. Now, I'm not going to mention the office where this is involved, right? But there is an office in the north of the United States, let's leave it at that, Mm -hmm. which has now been telling McKinsey consultants, the ones that are up for being managed out, right? Yes. That if you are managed out when, and someone does a reference check on you, we will tell the person doing the reference check that you do not leave in high standing. Now, this may seem like a small thing, but this completely shatters McKinsey's business model. Well, this is, yeah, that's huge. It is, it is so big. I think I had a heart attack that day, but I'm not sure. Wow. It is, the, it is, it is, a, it is you know, when people say, how does a great firm die? It dies from the hubris and stupidity of a bunch of well-paid executives who run the firm. Mm-hmm. I always tell people when a firm dies, two things are happening. Either the firm does something really ridiculous mm-hmm. or the market shifts. Now, the market right. is shifting to China. So McKinsey has to deal with that and they're not dealing with it very well. But this shatters their business model. Mm-hmm. Because now you're going to have consultants who are leaving the firm. And they, first, to get... A, to, to get the title of leave with, you know, with higher standing, they have to resign. McKinsey is forcing resignations. Right. And if you don't resign, they tell people that you left without higher standing, right? 
Now, it's possible that this is just a ploy, that they're never going to do it, but they're forcing people to leave early. But then that also raises another problem. What kind of firm is misleading people to get them to resign early? Yeah, that, it's, it's, you're, you're, if it's not an actual real change, like you're talking about, you're just moving, you're just changing, you're just implementing the same process differently. Like, why would you even make that change? You don't even need to do that at all. Now, my, my, my belief is that, you know, I spent a lot of time over the last few weeks contacting every bookstore in the United States to see who bought Sarah Palin's book, Going Rogue, to see if they decided to go rogue at McKinsey, right? <laughs> and I, they just couldn't give me the names. Apparently, there's confidentiality agreements in the United States. But if, if, if a senior director of recruitment is going rogue, it is unlikely that no one knows about it. Right. It is very unlikely because I know about it. And I know a lot of people at McKinsey. And I checked with a couple of people. People were quite surprised when, when they heard about this. Hmm. It happened in one office. It happened right. quite recently. But the, the, the implications are quite shattering for me. One is that let's assume it's McKinsey policy and they're testing it in this office. Mm -hmm. it, it, I cannot understand why they would think this would be a good policy. Maybe they can see something I cannot see, right? Well, it, it it seems like if they have a problem where there's whereby there's people that need to that they need to release not in high standing, that the real problem is that they're letting them in in the first place. Yeah, I mean, obviously they're letting a lot of jerks. That's normal, right? That's normal. You you can't screen so well in interviews. That's why you have the up and out policy. Yeah? But the problem is that if you if you start releasing people, let's assume this is policy and they're testing it, mm -hmm. you're going to create two classes of McKinsey alumni. Yes. Those who are not released in high standing and those who are released in high standing. Yeah, the haves and the have-nots. Now, the have-nots are not going to be your friends. Mm -hmm. And worse, McKinsey damages itself because it's basically telling people, well, we release some people that are not good and here they are. Come on, journalist. We've given you a list of people you can interview that are predisposed to say negative things about us. Yes, yes. But more than that, why would these people want to hire McKinsey in the future? And why would they want to speak well about McKinsey to other people who might hire McKinsey in the future? It's, it just seems like a, an accident waiting to happen. It's an accident waiting to happen. Now, if it's not McKinsey policy and there's a rogue director there, um, also, it's not a good sign. Mm -hmm. Because you can't be doing this without anyone knowing about it. So clearly enough people are condoning it. Well, the, the only way, like it might be, depending on the timeline... If this is playing out right now, you know... It, it's playing out as we speak. Right. So it might be in the middle of um, people realizing what's going on and deciding to either support or well, react it's happening or... Over the, it's happening right now, but it's played off over the last six months. Hmm. So my, my feeling is that I, one of the things I notice about uh, Dominic Barton is he's a little bit like Ron Daniels in the sense that he's allowing McKinsey to experiment with many things. Mm -hmm. I suspect that... I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, right? And say he probably doesn't know about it. He can't know everything, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, let's be honest. He can't know everything. Yeah, the firm is too big. But what worries me is that people think that under his leadership, they can experiment with these things. Mm -hmm. Certain things should not be open for reinterpretation. Right. You know, the only thing that it was ever remixed and sounded better was, you know, Deborah Cox's hit, Nobody Was Supposed to Be Here? No. I'm going to introduce a lot of hip-hop music. I'm going to have to Google it now. That was like the only song ever that sounded better remixed. <laughs> now, you don't take McKinsey's policies and remix it, right? Yeah. You don't take his values and remix it because they don't need to be remixed. 
They don't need to have a millennial spin attached to them. Millennials, just so we know, don't like to be cheated badly when they're fired. Just so we're clear mm-hmm. about that, right? Right. So saying we're doing this for the, you know, to make it better for younger consultants makes no sense to me. Mm-hmm. So for me, this exit policy thing, if it's, if it's, I know McKinsey partners listen to this podcast. I would implore upon you not to do this, right? Yeah, it, it seems like a bad move. I, don't I know. would send out an email. I know this. I know that the head of recruiting will listen to this. I would implore upon you to send an email to all of your directors of recruiting to find out who is doing this. Then you publicly execute them like a Game of Thrones episode. Oh, my. And then you take their head and you put it on a spike, like what they used to do outside the Tower of London. And then you embalm it so that people can watch it for centuries, right? Now, obviously, I'm referring to this figuratively, right? Not that you actually yeah. would do this. Yes, but it speaks to... It speaks to how strongly you feel about this and like what you think that how serious this is. You know, the thing that always, you know, people always said that um, when Rajat Gupta did what he did at McKinsey, McKinsey would have collapsed. McKinsey wouldn't have collapsed because while Rajat Gupta did what he did, it was really an isolated incident, mm-hmm. right? It was an isolated incident. Um, you know, he did. I'm sure a few partners knew about it, condoned it, and so on. But it was isolated, right? Mm-hmm. Now you may think, but that's bad. You know, what did they say? The fish heads, the, the fish rots on the head first. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, that's a nice saying, but the reality is that when you have these little fires breaking out in the company, it's even worse. It's the broken windows theory. Mm-hmm. If people see this is acceptable, well, lots of other people do other things that are not acceptable. Right, right. When you have one leader who's very visible that you need to isolate and kill. You can save mm-hmm. a company. Mm-hmm. It's like having a tumor just, just in one part of your body. You can get rid of that thing. Yeah. But if you've got little tumors breaking out all of your body, you can't do much about it. That's why, to me, this is a bigger problem. Mm-hmm. It's under the radar. It's not getting attention until it's going to cause so much trouble. Now, yeah, it- this director is training other recruiting people. Mm-hmm. They think it's normal. They'll talk to other recruiting people. And the practice will spread, yeah. yeah but people say, but Michael, it surely can never spread. It already spread. Two people at least are doing it because I can see them copying on the email chain. I get all email chains. People send me everything, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously, I can't contact the director because you'll know how I've learned about it, right? Right. And then I'd break our confidentiality agreements, which we can never break. Mm-hmm. But honestly, they have to stop this. They have to really gut this thing as quickly as they can. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. It's, I mean, it's another way to look at it is it's the, a sign of breaking away from the one firmness that, that kind of defined McKinsey so and much. It, it kind of makes sense, right? What do the Chinese say? It's the third generation that always squanders everything. This right. is the third generation of McKinsey, roughly speaking, right? Mm-hmm. Or is this the mm-hmm. second generation? It's roughly the third generation. Yeah, second and a half, third. They don't realize how hard it was to build what was built. Mm-hmm. They don't understand that. I mean, sure, they're McKinsey partners, but every McKinsey partner thinks he's like God's gift to strategy, right? You just def- that's just successful people in general. <laughs> yeah, and I think that in there are times when you have to step back and if you ask yourself, you know, what exactly are we doing here? Mm-hmm. Fine, you want to go into big data, not a big deal, right? Who cares, right? Fine, you want to start a recovery business, who cares? Fine, you want to start implementation, but that's okay, but what business are we turning into and are we going to be happy? You know, 
I have some back problems because I've worked so much. And it really shocked me the other day when I was, someone recorded me. And I looked and said, is that what I look like? Oh. You know what I look like? My skin is well preserved <laughs> like a piece of olive in a martini. Because that's pretty much the amount of martinis I have. Right? <laughs> and it's not an compliment. But, but the point is that these things creep up on you. Yes, yes. You don't know it. It happens one little step at a time, and you never really, you never really see the moment when you cross the line. I think that once every year, you should hire someone to record you for one entire day and play it. Now, this is, like, this is why kings used to have jesters, right? Like There would be someone who could come in and say, say whatever they wanted without fear of reprisal, so you could really like have, that, have someone pull you out of that what do you call it? That headspace where you don't realize what's happening. I just thought it was because they didn't have HBO then. But yeah, it could well, be. That. <laughs> <laughs> I, I may be thinking too much about this. But <laughs> no, you were right. The, the thing is that the thing is this: if you look at every good leader, um, and I mean, when I say good leader, I'm not talking about shareholder creation because honestly, you can lie and cheat, and you can create shareholder value, right? But I mean, right. good leaders that have really defined corporate world. Now, my opinion: a good leader is shaped by one person. Do you know? Who um, I, I can take a guess. Ooh. I would um, their life partner. Exactly, exactly. If you want to look, my rule is very simple. If I'm meeting some famous executive, and his and, and his or her wife is not there, mm-hmm. I'm a bit concerned with this person. Huh? Because when I do business with people, I didn't want to meet their life partners. Mm-hmm. I don't care what you who you are. Your life partner is the most important. I need to see this person. I need to spend time with them. I need to understand them. Mm-hmm. And if you look at all these really great leaders, they all had very strong life partners. There's a very famous story when um, Hank Paulson bought a Burberry raincoat because he ran out of it. He had this really ratty looking raincoat, right? Mm-hmm. He came home. Now, at this point, he was the CEO of Goldman Sachs. Mm-hmm. He was earning a lot of money, right? He's extremely wealthy. Yes. Right, you know? We are both semi-retired, but I think he's retired in a very different way. Than me. <laughs> but the point is, he buys this raincoat. He comes home and he shows it to his wife, and she makes him return it. It was too extravagant. No, the moral of the story is that successful leaders know when to take instructions. Mm-hmm. It's a very important lesson. They have someone that they listen to all the time. It's not their board of directors. Yeah. Think of uh, Jamie Dimon, who I like as a leader as well. He's very close to his wife, right? Mm-hmm. He's always doing stuff with her, always talking about her and so on. Marvin Bauer, he always talks about his wife. Mm-hmm. Now, we're still at the age where we um, have to see strong female leaders. And I think now they, it's not so nice to talk about their husbands, but we'll see more of that. Mm-hmm. No one's saying you have to be married to be a good leader, but you have to have a significant other. Maybe your mom that you take advice from, right? In fact, that's mm-hmm. true. I mean, a lot of Indian leaders cite their mothers as mm-hmm. people that they you know bounce ideas off and so on hmm. so so here you, you need to be grounded a little bit mm-hmm. and i think that the issue to some degree is that how grounded are these leaders at a certain point if you're too successful it gets to your head i think yes exactly and that's why you need someone completely outside of that universe now, before everyone starts telling me, Michael, is just one thing in one office, just a crack. Have you ever looked at a windscreen that has a crack on it? <laughs> you don't want to drive in that car. 
Can you fix a tiny crack on a windscreen? Yeah, no. No, you have to replace the entire windscreen eventually. Yes. It's the same principle. Yeah. I mean, you know, people, look, Rudy Giuliani as, I don't want to talk much about anything about politics, but he did one good thing. He saved New York City. Mm-hmm. People forget what New York City was before Rudy Giuliani came in. It was a disaster. Yes. You couldn't go into Central Park. Mm-hmm. You couldn't. You'd get raped or worse. <laughs> New York was a disaster. Times Square was a place you went to watch a peep show. <laughs> right? It was a terrible yeah. place. Rudy Giuliani came in with the broken windows theory and amongst other things, and he fixed New York City. Mm-hmm. Look, he, he, despite what people may say, because he's not a politician and not everyone's going to like him, he fixed right. New York City. Give him credit for that. Yeah. New York City was an absolute unmitigated disaster before he came along. Mm-hmm. It was, New York City was one of the few major cities in the world that actually had a population shrinkage before he came in. Do you know that? Of people were exiting. People were leaving the Big yeah. Apple. They took a bite of it and they realized it was the poison apple. <laughs> and they left, I mean, think about it. A major city like New York City saw a shrinkage in its population. Yeah, that, that's just a symptom that something is really if wrong. that doesn't scare the heck out of you, what is going to scare the heck out of you? Yeah. And he fixed it. Broken windows theory. Small things like this replicate. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of going viral we don't want. Mm-hmm. Right? Make exactly. sense? Yes. Yes, it does. Any questions? No. Somewhere down, somewhere this week, a McKinsey recruiting director is not going to be having a pleasant day. <sighs> We will see. <laughs> we will see, right? Mm-hmm. 